right, good morning, Joey, at first. So good to see you this morning. So glad you're here. If it's your first time here, uh, we want to make sure that you've received a mug. And uh, we're just, seriously, just thanks for taking time out of your busy day uh, to be with us. We know that you could be in all sorts of things, uh, especially on a nice summer day, I mean fall day, summer day, fall day. Uh, but thank you for being here this morning. We are in the middle of a series called The Good and Beautiful God. Uh, this is our third week of The Good and Beautiful God. So if you've missed the first two weeks, let me just say this. You can go to our website, and on the media page at the top, you'll find a little icon uh, that actually is a podcast icon that you can click on, and it'll take you to our church's podcast from previous messages, or you can go online and you can watch messages as well. Either way, you can find those there, and you can catch up uh, to where we've been the last few weeks. So this morning, we're going to continue this series. We've got about five more weeks. Uh, I hope this has been good for you. I know the practices that we offer at the end are not something that uh, you just do from one week to like that week, but something that you do every week. Like this is supposed to build upon each other so that you have new rhythms and new practices in your life that move, move you closer to God. So would you pray for this morning? I really need it. Uh, truly, truly, truly need it this morning. And uh, may God be in this time of teaching. Lord, let's, pray. let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this day. We acknowledge your goodness this morning. You are a faithful God even though when we don't feel like it. You are a loving God even when we don't feel loved. You are a God who is good even when it feels like there is nothing good in our lives. And so we acknowledge that you are the one who sustains us, who creates us and who makes us. We pray that in this moment you would be in this time of teaching and that your words and your truth would be made clear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've told this story before, but that's okay. I'm going to tell it again because it ties in with what we want to talk about today. Um, a f- about a year ago, uh, we were going to the store, and there was my five-year-old son, Miles, sitting in the back seat, and we were listening to a not-so-age-appropriate song for a five-year-old. And I didn't care. I was jamming along. Um, I listened to a not-so-age-appropriate five-year-old music all the time. Uh, that's just, if you're going to roll with me, that's how it works. And um, I'm listening to this song, not paying attention, and Janelle looks over at me, and she says to me, uh, is this song appropriate for our son? And I said, let me just enlighten you for a minute, hon. Let me enlighten you about how music works in 2017. You see, there's no creativity in music anymore, whatsoever. I mean, this is terrible music. That's all there is to it. So the only reason people listen to music today is for the beat. Right? When I run, I don't listen to the words. I have a beat that motivates me and moves me. So nobody's listening to this song other than the beat because it sounds good. And she said, are you sure? And like no longer than I've made that comment, Miles starts singing the chorus to this song. Over and over. He sang it to the store. He sang it while we were shopping in the store. He sang it on the way back from the store. He sang it while we were at home waiting for the bus. And I'm sure he sang it while he was on the bus as well. And I... Like, my wife totally proved me wrong. I should know this by now, right? But here's what I know. Here's why I tell you this story, is that Miles, when he begins to look at my life and when he begins to look at me as his father, he, I am somebody that he looks up to, he learns from, and he listens to. He looks up to, he learns from, and he listens to. And he believes that I have his best interest in mind. And so he thinks that when I'm playing music that is inappropriate for his age, he doesn't know that it's bad. He thinks that the music is uplifting and good because he trusts that his dad is going to play the best music for him. Now, I know some of you parents out there are judging me. Listen, I've heard your five-year-olds talk. 
I've heard the jokes you tell. I've listened to the music you listen to, so don't be judging me this morning. Right? But my point is this, is that Miles, trust me, because I'm somebody that he looks up to, he learns from, and he listens to. And so the question that I want to pose to you this morning is this. Who do you trust and why? The question that I want to pose to you this morning is who do you trust and why? You see, some of us trust our parents because regardless of our past, present, or our future, we know that they will be present in every moment. Some of us have friends that we trust. And the reason why we trust those friends is we have told them secrets about our lives that we would never tell anybody else. And you know, and I know, that if somebody tied them to a stake and burned them to the ground, their secrets would go down with them forever, the secrets that you've told them. Right? Some of us have coworkers that we tell everything to. And here's a little secret I want to tell you. The reason why you tell your coworkers all the secrets about your life at home is because what you say at work stays at work. What you say at work stays at work. And here's why. Because if your coworker ran into your family out at the grocery store, your coworker wouldn't know that that's your family, other than if you were with them. And so you go, you go to work every week and you tell them, listen, my husband is a bum. He sits on the couch, his underwear's on the floor, he never picks up anything, he never watches the kids. I'm sick of him. I'm sick of him. And you feel like you can tell your coworker that because you know that they're never going to know. And so we have people in our life, right? We have teachers. Teachers are great people that we look up to because they teach us wisdom about the world. But we have people in our lives that we trust. And the reason we trust them, the reason we trust them is this. Is there people that we look up to, we learn from, and we listen to. There are people that we look up to, we learn from, and we listen to. Those are the people that you trust. But can I ask you a question? Because I know that life is real for many of us. What happens when somebody that you look up to, you learn from, and you listen to breaks your trust? You ever been there? You ever been in those moments where you've looked up to somebody and you thought that their life, they had it together, and, and, and you shared a lot of your life with their life, and all of a sudden uh, their mentorship becomes null and void by some of the things that they've done? Maybe it's true for some of the people you've learned from or even that you listen to. But you've had those moments in your life where, where you've put all your trust, you've put all of your eggs in one basket, and all of a sudden that basket was turned upside down. Do you remember that sinking feeling of the person that you loved, the person that you cared for, the person that you trusted ruined your trust? Maybe it was a parent. Parents can ruin, ruin trust by making their kids listen to bad songs. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Can, can I just be real for one minute? Is that okay as your pastor? Can I be non-pastorly for a minute? This is where it gets dangerous. One of my greatest struggles as a pastor is playing this game of trust with people. You see, I, th I think that nearly all people are good. And I want to see the good in them. I want to believe that they are good. And I want them to believe that I'm good as well and that we are out for good. But the reality is, is I've learned over the years of pastoring that not everybody, not everybody is trustworthy. Because the people that you tell these secrets to, the people that you tell plans to, the people that you talk to about your life and your struggles as a pastor can be turned on you in any minute. And so as a pastor, I'm just being honest this morning, it could be one of the loneliest places you've ever been in your life. Because people that you know, you think you know, Break your trust. 
And you know what's really frustrating? I bet you've been here too. Is we project. We project this mantra of distrust onto God. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you believe that God is trustworthy? Do you believe that God is trustworthy? See, I just look around. I look at the natural disasters. I look at earthquakes. I look at hurricanes. I look at world leaders and political decisions made, which are kind of like natural disasters. I look at racism. I look at hatred. I look at all the things that go on around the world, and I think to myself, where is the good? And if God is so good to us, if he is all about bringing good into the world, why is there so much evil? And I bet... I bet if I could sit in your shoes for just a few minutes, you have been in a place where you have said God doesn't exist. He is untrustworthy. I can't believe what he has to say. And here's why. I've I've lost a loved one. Maybe it was expected. Maybe it was unexpected. But either way, that hurt was so painful. And you're asking the question, why would God take somebody from me? Which, by the way, is not a really good question because I don't believe God takes people from people. Uh, Let's just get that right out there. But sometimes we believe God takes people from us. And we say, why would he do that? Sometimes we pray prayers that we feel like are never answered. Ever. And you're saying, why do I keep praying? Because you're just not going to answer these questions. And we feel like God's not showing up when we need him to show up the most. And so we're asking, is God trustworthy? But this morning I want to share a story with you. Because we've been saying this over the last couple weeks. That our understanding of God has to be consistent with the God Jesus reveals. That our understanding of God has to be consistent with the God that Jesus reveals. And today, we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at a story where Jesus is in a moment of his life where he could sit there and he could say, Where are you, God? Are you listening to me? And if this is something that I'm going to have to go through, are you trustworthy and true? If this is something that I'm going to have to go through, are you trustworthy and true? Now, the guy that tells us this story this morning is a man named Mark. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, let me just, let me just help you out here. For you know, A lot of us aren't familiar with the Bible. We think we are. In fact, people often say, I've heard this in the Bible. And then I say, well, tell me where that's at. And they can't show it to me, whatever. And often I can't show you where it is either. But um, we're in it together. But... But Mark is a gospel writer. There are four accounts of Jesus' life. And Mark is believed to be one of the first writers, that he writes the first narrative of Jesus' life. In fact, it's believed that Matthew and Luke borrow Mark's account to write their own accounts of Jesus' life. Pretty interesting. Interesting, well, where did Mark get his information? Well, there was this gentleman named Peter who followed Jesus around everywhere he went. I mean, wherever, wherever Jesus went, Peter was there. If Jesus was eating with people... Peter was there. If Jesus was drinking with people that nobody else thought he should be drinking with, Jesus or Peter was there. If if Jesus was doing miracles and feeding 5,000, Peter was there. When Jesus was dying on the cross, yeah, not so much. Uh, But when Jesus resurrected from the dead, Peter was there. He was there in every moment. And so what happens is Jesus passes the torch on to Peter. And he says, I want you to build the church. In fact, you are the rock on which I will build the church. The foundation of what this movement is all about. And so what Peter does is he begins to speak to new Christian communities about this amazing thing that happened. And he begins to instruct them based upon the life of Jesus. In fact, Peter goes around and he gives messages about the life of Jesus to all these new communities. 
And do you know who was sitting there writing all this down? Mark. Mark was in the crowd sitting down and he was writing everything that Peter had to say about the life of Jesus. And then he takes it and then he shapes it and he forms it into this amazing story we call the Gospel of Mark, which is a story about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now here's something interesting about Mark as well. When Mark wrote this book, he was in Rome. I know you're just like, whoa, that's awesome. Not very important. No, it is important. And here's why. When Mark was writing this book in Rome, his good friend, his good mentor, his good leader, Peter, was being crucified in Rome. And so if anybody has a right, anybody writing about the life of Jesus, anybody writing about God has the right to, to ask the question, is God trustworthy? It's Mark. If you lived in Rome in the first century, could you imagine? Mark has to look around at bodies hanging on a cross as birds peck away at their lifeless bodies hanging on a cross. He watched and witnessed that families being torn apart because they believed in Christ. Rome was disintegrating the faith as much as they possibly could because they knew this movement was greater than what they thought was good. And Mark could look around and see the devastation. He could see the hurt. He could see the pain. And if anybody has the right to question whether God is trustworthy, it's Mark, especially after his friends killed. But what does Mark do? Mark writes an account of Jesus' life. In fact, every sentence that he writes is so packed with this excitement about what God has done in this world, this new thing that has happened about what's going on in the world and how the world has changed. He's so excited about it that he begins to write it down and begins to tell us about it. And not only that, but Mark believes that God is present in every moment. That's key today. He's present in every moment, and he is here to help you in the areas where you need help. You see, there are rumors There is gossip, there is slander, there is mystery surrounding this guy named Jesus. And Mark wants to clear the air to say, God is trustworthy. So let me set the scene for you before we look at the story. Really important. Jesus is in his final moments of his life. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. And so we find him gathered around a dinner table with his disciples where they are eating together. And he's explaining the importance of this meal. This is why at the end of every message at our church, we have a meal together. We simply do what Jesus did. Makes sense, right? Yeah, okay. So we have a meal at the end of every message. So Jesus is sitting around. He's having this meal with his disciples Oh, by the way, the very disciples who will betray him, who will deny him, who when he goes to the cross and he begins to suffer, none of them are there. None of them are found except for the women. Shout out to the women today. Anyway. um, But if anybody has reason to doubt, it's Jesus. If anybody has reason to doubt... His disciples, his followers, people that are going to betray him and deny him. If anybody in this moment feels like they are all alone, it has to be Jesus. But like we keep saying, our understanding of God has to be consistent with the God Jesus reveals. And today, and today Jesus reveals in this important story something about God that many of us struggle to identify with. So I want you to turn to Mark. You'll find Matthew, Mark, and we're going to be in chapter 14 today. And I'm going to be reading uh, verses 32 through 37. It says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I want you to hang on to that. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, that this hour might pass from him. Jesus says, after being filled with sorrow, after doubting and after questioning and after asking if this could pass, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What a powerful powerful moment. Jesus says something that I think many of us resonate with this morning. In the garden, in the moment that he knows he's about to die, in the moment that he's talking to his father, and he's asking if this cup will pass him, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And these three words are actually one word, paraleros, uh, which means to be crushed with grief. Crushed with grief. Have you ever been crushed with grief? I've been trying to find the right words. I couldn't find the right words. So I want to show you a video of what it means to be crushed with grief. And let me just explain this video real quick. When we lived in Kansas, um, there are a lot of tornadoes and a lot of heavy storms. And we had a really, really heavy storm. And we were kind of new in this house. And there was a play set, a swing set outside. And a huge tree, uh, probably close to anywhere from 80 to 100 years old, fell on top of the swing set and literally splintered it. Now, I'm showing you this video because I think in this moment, this is my son, he is crushed with grief. Watch it. Hey, bub, why are you sad? Because I want this. Because why? I want my tree on Zoomway. You're sad that your tree Maybe we can fix it. Would you like to try to fix it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe we can fix it, okay? I'm sorry you're so sad. All right, yeah. You know, every time I watch this video, it, like, makes me tear up. I mean, I remember that moment. It's just, like, so painful to watch that video. But let me ask you this morning. What grief crushes your soul? You see, you have moments in your life that are so miserable. You've had relationships, you've had situations where you're so unhappy, you're so miserable, you feel destitute that it feels like in this moment you just wish that you could die. Have you been there in this moment? Anybody been there in this moment? It kind of goes in stages for us, right? Do you remember when you were a kid and you wanted something from Santa, but Santa didn't bring the something that you wanted and you were crushed? Do you remember when you fell in love for the first time? Do you remember that feeling? But do you also remember the feeling when you found out that the someone that you loved also loved someone else? Crushed. Crushed. Do you remember the moment when you got a phone call saying that your husband or your wife or your child has passed away? You see, these moments are so hard. And what I, what, I, what I think is true is that what God reveals to us today, what Jesus reveals to us today about God, is that it is in the moments of uncertainty that we find that he is trustworthy. This is what Jesus reveals. That in his uncertainty, he discovers that God is trustworthy. Now you're saying, wait a minute. 
You mean to tell me a guy who's going to the cross, a guy who's about to lose his life, a guy who's about to be disintegrated from the face of the earth and has no clue what's going to happen beyond this world, finds trust in uncertainty? Listen to what Jesus says. I love this. After Jesus pleads with him, pleads with him, he uses this word, Abba. Now I want to stick to this word just for a second. He says, Abba. He addresses God as Abba. And the word Abba actually uh, uh, has two kind of undertone to it, undertones to it. The first is that it is intimate. There's a sense of intimacy, but it also, there's a reverent obedience. So when Jesus in this moment, who is facing one of his deepest, darkest moments, the moment where he wants to question God and say, are you listening to me? Are you out there? Do you exist? Are you real? You're about to kill me for the the, the sake of humanity. I, I just can't do it. But in the moment he says, Abba. Where's the intimacy in this? Where's the connection in this? You see, I think Jesus comes to, to the realization that even though he may not understand what happens beyond this life and in this moment, and he's really struggling to get to the cross, there's an intimacy with, with God. That God is present in every aspect of Jesus' life. That God is present in this moment. And what we've been saying is that whatever we, is true about Jesus has to be true about God. And so if Jesus is present in the moment of this suffering, and he, Jesus is present in our suffering, then God has to be present as well. That even in the midst of when we feel like everything is uncertain, God is present. It is in our suffering. It is in our pain. It is in our misery. It is in our darkest moments that Christ is the closest. And that's what makes God trustworthy. Jesus says something else that I find interesting. He uses the word Father. Now, I know for many of you, the word father does not conjure up great emotions. For some of you, the word father is painful just to even say it, or maybe even just to hear it. Maybe your father was never present. Maybe you were abused by your father. Maybe you were constantly hurt by your father, and just to even say the word makes you sick, or it makes you want to crawl up into a ball and into a hole and never come out again. Can I just say that not saying father when we talk to God, is not the solution. You see, what happens is we, we, project, we project our understanding of our earthly father onto the heavenly father, and what we get is that God is not trustworthy because my father on earth was never present. He was abusive. He was hurtful. And so because that's true about my father, then it must be true about God. That he is hurtful. He's never present. He's never there for me. He wants, as we said last week, he just wants to punish me. He, he's not out for my good. This is what we think about God. And we, we think that he is untrustworthy. But what if? What if the whole experience of God, what if this whole experience of Jesus is about defining fatherhood? What if in this moment, what if the life of Jesus, he's beginning to define what fatherhood is all about, even in the moments where we feel like we can't trust him. In fact, he uses a great prayer to guide us in what the father looks like. He says, our father in heaven. Now, heaven for us, we've been taught is a place that we go to when we die. But for, for, for Jews, it was a place, it was all around. In fact, they believed that heaven was the air that they breathed. And so we learn from this that God is present. 
God is present. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen, we think holiness is all about righteousness, but holiness is actually about purity, that God's motives are pure. Thy kingdom come. Right? We have earthly kings, we have earthly presidents, we have earthly rulers. But the reality is, as Christians, we don't believe any of them are the true king. We think that God is the king of kings, and because of that, he is powerful. He is present, he is pure, he is powerful. Give us this day our daily bread. God is the God who provides. God is the God who provides for you. This is the Father who provides for you. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Listen, God wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. Have you ever thought about that? That God wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a God who protects. This is a Father who protects and rescues. So what do we learn about a Father in this moment that may be different from what we know about our earthly fathers? God is present. His motives are pure. He wants the best for you. He is powerful. He provides for you. He pardons you. He forgives you. And He protects you. Some of you are hurt in hearing this because... This is not who your earthly father is to you. But this is why Jesus, this is why Jesus can get on his knees in a garden and begin to pray to the father who is intimate. He is present. He wants the best for Jesus, even though Jesus may not see it. Even though Jesus faces uncertainty, he discovers that God is trustworthy in this moment. You've been in this place. You've been in this place. You've been in this dark moment. It's the dark night of the soul, as one of my great theologians and friends calls it. The dark night of the soul. And can I just assure you today that God is trustworthy? Let me ask you this question before we, we go. What is your cup this morning? Jesus says this morning, will you let this cup pass from me? Can I ask you, what is your cup? And your cup is whatever causes you grief, crushing grief in your life. Your cup is also the thing that when you think about it, it makes you want to say that God isn't trustworthy. That's what your cup is today. Whether it's a divorce, whether it's separation whether you've had a kid walk out on you, whether you have a physical ailment that keeps you from doing all the things that you'd love to do in life. We all suffer from something. We all have grief that crushes our souls. And the question that we have to ask is, do I really trust God? Do I trust God in these moments? And I think that Jesus gives us a perfect example today. He gives us a perfect example of how we can trust. Because he's powerful, he protects, he's present, he's pure, he pardons. Oh, it's so good. So good. The question is, are you willing to trust that God this morning? So here's what I need you to know today. If you haven't figured it out, 
Today's message is this. The whole idea we're working with is that God is good, and because God is out for your good, he is trustworthy. That God is trustworthy. And I want to tell you this. I want to give you some hope today. Not only is God trustworthy when the darkest moments of your life, but God thinks you are worthy of his trust. We said this last week. That sometimes we think our relationship with God is all about having faith in Jesus, but it's actually about Jesus having faith in you. Do you think that you're worthy of God's trust? Do you think that you are worthy enough to carry out the very things in this world that God longs for in this world? Somebody asked me this question. We were sitting down. They asked me this question. They said, what keeps you here? What keeps you at Joliet first? What keeps you at this church? And I had to think long and hard. Because that's a tough question. What keeps me here? i tell you what keeps me here. What keeps me here is watching people whose lives are broken come to know a God who makes them whole and calls them good. Even when their life is still a mess, you see God working and moving. And you see people who, who, who would say that God doesn't exist in my life all of a sudden say, oh my God. I didn't know this God existed. I didn't know that he was so good. And I didn't know that he loved me this so much, so much. I didn't know that he was this faithful to me. And the things that are happening in my life, although that's not perfect, I have a sense and a presence of something different than it was before. That's what keeps me here. What, what keeps me here is people recognizing that they are worthy of God's trust and they're going to use what God has given them to continue this mission. What gives me hope, what keeps me here is people saying, you know what, God has given me this gift and in this moment I'm going to use it to make somebody else better. See, the whole point, the whole point of what keeps me here is that God's redemption story is deeply connected to ours. And that every day what gets me up is, who is going to receive this goodness today? Who is going to be restored today? And I know something about you that maybe you don't know. You believe that to be true as well. The reason why you get up every day is because you understand that God has done something amazing in your life. And in your life, you want that same thing for someone else. And so you get up. You get up with purpose and with passion. And you are filled with the love of God who is trustworthy in some of our hurtful and most dark moments of life. And we get up. And we give all that we have because God has entrusted us with so much. You are. You are trustworthy. But do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Have there, are there people that, that you may betray or are there people that you may hurt? Yep. And you know what happens in those moments? We begin to say, we are liars. We are untrustworthy. We're not deserving of God's love. Let me just say, that's not who you are. In the famous words of Moana. That's not who you are. You are good. You are loved. And God is trustworthy. Let, let me close with this. Two things. I want us to think this morning uh, as a community. Do we entrust God with our future as a church? Do we entrust God with the future of this church? I tend to think that 
whenever we, we settle for mediocrity, we are not entrusting God with what he's given us. And I truly believe that when God wants to use us the most, when we use what he's entrusted us with. I don't know about you, but whatever God, what is, what is true about God and what is true about Jesus must also be true about the church. And when I look at the life of Jesus, I know that he is passionate. He is passionate about reaching people who don't know him. And I don't want to be part of a future where we settle for the people that we already have. But rather, we work toward the people who aren't here. And so my question this morning is, do you entrust God with that future? Do you entrust God with your life? Would you entrust him in these moments that we're going to have to make changes, we're going to have to move forward in ways, that we're going to have to do things that feel uncomfortable to reach people that have never been reached before? That's a good question for you to answer this week. Because I get it. The moment we're uncomfortable, the moment we feel like something's being taken away from us is the moment we run and we go to something that is comfortable. Because that's all we know, and that's the only thing that we trust. But like I said, Jesus displays to us that it's in the uncertainty that we discover that God is trustworthy. So can I ask you this morning, this may be a bit ambiguous, but will you trust God with the uncertainty that lies ahead? In your life? In our church's life? Will you do that this morning? So here's the last thing I want you to do. This is a soul training exercise. We're going to do an exercise. This is, this is where it becomes practical this morning, okay? I want to do something real quick. Can anybody tell me what you see? What do you see on there? A dot. Everybody see the dot? Right? See, that's the nature of humanity. We only recognize the blemish. We don't recognize the vast greatness of God's mercy all over this page. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to call to the mind the joys of your journey with God. We've been asking you to, to keep a journal, and I know that seems weird, and you're not into the journaling kind of thing, totally get it. But this week, I want you to begin to write down all the blessings that God has given you. Every day when you get up, when you've gotten lots of rest, <clears throat> week one, when you've sat in silence, <clears throat> week two, I want you to begin to write down all the things that you are thankful for. I want you to write down everything that you are thankful for. In fact, somebody said this at our recent pastor's um, gathering. They said, if tomorrow you only had what you gave thanks for the day before, what would you have? I told you now, um, my family. <laughs> and that's probably about it. I felt pretty greedy and I just felt bad about myself because I wasn't very thankful. But what are you thankful for? This week, I want you to write those down. Write those down. Write those down. I want you to reflect on those. And what you'll find is over the week, this will become a natural part of who you are. You'll begin to thank God for this and begin to thank God for that. Just like we were supposed to discover beauty last week. I began to see sunsets and flowers and even weeds and things, even clouds that were hanging down. And, and you could see the sun kind of gray. through. I mean, those were beautiful moments this week. And I wouldn't have recognized those if I hadn't challenged us and challenged myself to do it. 
So the challenge this week is to write down the joys of your journey. This morning, we're going we're gonna to partake in the table. Those serving communion, would you come forward? You know, it's funny. We sing this song, My Wealth is in the Cross. I wonder if Jesus felt that way when he was kneeling in Gethsemane. I wonder if he felt like the wealth was in the cross in those moments of darkness. But you know what? There was intimacy and there was obedience. And Jesus went to the cross for each of us. And we believe, we believe at this church that a response to the message, a response to that God is trustworthy, that I want to entrust God with all of my life, a response today is for you to come forward and receive God's grace. Let me be clear. At this church, you don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a Christian. We only believe that you are seeking the grace of God because we truly believe that it is in these elements, it is in this moment that God's grace is being extended to you. So if you simply say this morning that I need God's grace, I need his mercy, I need his trust, and I need to learn to trust him, would you come forward and receive the meal that has been prepared for you? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we acknowledge that you are so good this morning. This is a heavy, heavy message. This is a heavy weight. This is... Trust is such a hard thing for most of us. And so often, the way we've defined trust have, has been by relationships and by our fathers and by our parents and by people who have hurt us at times. And so this morning, I want us to recognize, I pray that in these moments as we come forward and we receive the goodness that lays before us at this table, that we, that we would experience the grace of a God who is trustworthy. And we come forward as an acknowledgement of that. I pray that your presence would overwhelm those who need it today. And that your love would be experienced in this beautiful moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can come forward as you're ready.